Well, it's Sunday evening. We are gathered here to worship the Lord, and so let's do that. And I will read in Revelation chapter 3. Uh, we're looking at the church in Philadelphia tonight. Uh, most of the churches that we've looked at so far, they've uh, had really uh, hard words from our Lord in terms of their failure to, to love the Lord as they ought to love the Lord, their failure to love the truth as they ought to love and communicate the truth. And so tonight, this is a, this is a, a church where uh, the Lord commends the people there, and there's no, uh, nothing else except that commendation uh, for the people of God in Philadelphia, the, uh, the church of brotherly love. I think uh, Stephen said something this morning about the city of brotherly love in the States. It's not that way any longer, but, but anyway, this is the church of Philadelphia. Hear the word of God. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one can shut, who shuts and no one opens, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall they go out of it. And I will write on him, on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, and my own name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we thank you for another special day that you've given to us, one in seven. And we thank you, Lord, that in many places around the world, there's uh, only one worship service a day, but this congregation has chosen to, to worship uh, two times a day, and we are thankful for that, Lord. We're thankful for the opportunity to learn and grow in your word, and we pray that you would be with us tonight, that you would guide us, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, what you have taught to the church in Philadelphia. Lord, help us to be true to you at all times. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just a little background before we look at some of the particular uh, passages. Uh, this, uh, the church in Philadelphia was located in Asia Minor. Uh, it was an area where evidently there were a number of earthquakes. And so in AD 17, there was an earthquake and the city did not fully recover until about 70 A.D. Um, so it was, a, it was a tough time for them for a while, but uh, it was completely destroyed, but re recovered in, 70, in uh, 90 A.D. 
Uh, at certain times during that, that time period, Emperor Tiberius was the reigning uh, emperor at that particular time. Some of the uh, things that I want to mention, first of all, is the, the suffering that really they did not experience to the degree that some of the other Christians and the other uh, churches and locations that we have discussed before went through. They did suffer some. Uh, probably it doesn't say particularly in the text why they suffered, but uh, they would not pay homage to Caesar Tiberius or any other Caesar. They would not burn incense or anything like that. They would not join in the particular guilds or unions where they had their own gods and they would come and eat together and then they would experience uh, and, and uh, get involved in all sorts of immorality during those times as well. So they, they separated themselves, rightfully so, because what was going on in most of these locations where the churches were was just uh, horrible things, uh, going after other gods, practicing immorality, um, all the things that uh, the Lord God and I think all Christians could find as uh, abomination to the Lord. And so we're thankful that the church in Philadelphia was different than the other churches. Um, so one of the things that we, uh, we hear from time to time is that the Lord, as a result of that, will keep his people from the hour of trial that is coming on the world. Now, I'm not sure, I'm not sure exactly what that time is. It might be in Matthew chapter 24, uh, which is, a, if you read chapter 24, the, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a time that the, the world's going to experience, and, um, and a lot of people are going to experience that. But those who are in Christ in Philadelphia and those who are in Christ will not experience the same thing. There's suffering that comes our way simply because we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But for the, for the last amount of suffering, it will not take us, per se, because the Lord will take us uh, to the new heavens and new earth. He's coming again, like he said to the uh, church there in John chapter 14, that he's leaving. Uh, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me, that in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you, that where I go, I will come again to receive you unto myself. So that's the great uh, promise of, of, of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's something that we can look forward to with great anticipation. Uh, what he does do is he commends them. And there are four different ways that he commends them. Uh, and you see that three in verse eight and one in verse 10. So I'm, I'll just read verses, verses eight and 10 once again. But if you'd turn there, if you don't have it in front of you, uh, verse eight. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little and power, little power, and yet you have kept my word. So that's the first thing. They kept the word of God. That's important. That's important that we hear uh, here in this congregation and wherever we find ourselves in the future uh, in, in uh, Reformed Presbyterian congregations or just solid biblical congregations. We, we want to hold to the word of God, keep the word of God, and you have not denied it. So he commends them for that. Behold, I, have, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say 
that they are Jews and are not, but are lie, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before you, before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of the trial. So he, he does several things there. He says, I know your works for one thing. You kept my word, a second thing. You have not denied my name is the third thing. And the fourth thing is, in verse 10, you have kept my command to endure patiently. So those are, those are great things. You, you, you know, you, he knows our works. He knows the works there. He knows the works that we do as well, which means that we need to be cognizant of what we're doing. Are we doing the works that God has ordained for us to do? Are we doing them consistently? Are we steady at doing those works that he has ordained? Because he has, because you look at Ephesians chapter 2, uh, after, uh, after uh, he says, you're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that I have ordained for you to do in advance. Now, the, the thing that is important for us, we need to know exactly as much as we can, what are the works that he's ordained for us? And that's something maybe we'll talk about a little bit later. But we need to be doing those works. We can't just uh, necessarily... Uh, there's more to the Christian life than, than coming to the church and worshiping. It's going out and doing the works that he has ordained for us to do. We can't do part of what he has called us to do. We need to do the full, full range of things that God has ordained for us to do. Uh, certainly some of them would be bearing witness to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It could be to a loved one that's never confessed uh, faith in Christ. It could be to a co-worker. Uh, it could be to someone that we met uh, on the street somewhere and uh, feel, uh, feel moved, an open door, as it were, to minister the gospel to them as well. So, and it could be going to a, a soup kitchen and feeding those who are hungry or going to a, a place where people who can't find a, a place to sleep find themselves in a, I can't think of the word right now, but uh, in a place where they can sleep and they can get something to eat, maybe serving there maybe working in a crisis pregnancy center. There are all sorts of works to be done. The question is, are we seeking out any of those works? Or are we, in a sense, quite satisfied? And we should be satisfied with what the, what the church is teaching us morning and evening. But we're, then we're driven by the Spirit out to do that which we've learned to do and what we've been called to do. So there's always an opportunity to do that. So he says he knows our work. So if he were to examine us tonight individually, would he know what you are all about? Are you all about doing what he has ordained for us to do? Or are we simply kind of comfortable in the zone in which we're in? But probably we should not be too comfortable. We should always be seeking, praying, Lord, what would you have me to do? Where would you have me to serve? What are those gifts and abilities that you've given to me? How can I use them to advance the cause of Christ and promote the name which is above every name Jesus Christ. So he, he knows the works of the folks there in Philadelphia, and he knows our works. He knows them, whether we're doing them or not. He knows what we're doing or not doing. Uh, and keeping his word. We, we need to keep his word. The, word, the world will uh, oppose us at every level and try to change our mind and change our hearts because you might say, well, I, 
I believe in a, a monogamous marriage, a relationship between one man and one woman till death do us part. And the world says, that's crazy. You know, uh, you've got to be a little bit more flexible and, and things like that and use different terminology and, and try to expand their uh, demented sexual approaches to life. Uh, so they'll try to change people's attitudes about all, all those things that are near and dear to our heart. They want to change us. In some ways, they want to silence what we believe. And if, we don't, if they don't silence, uh, silence us in one way, they'll try another way. And if we don't do that, they'll probably try to change the, the, the uh, uh, definition of some of their terms. Which I th There's so many definitions going around in terms of sexuality now. I, I don't even know what, what's going on in the world. And I don't want to know. I mean, it's beyond belief, some of the things that are mentioned. Uh, so he knows our works. He knows that we have kept his word. He knows that they have not denied his name. Uh, we ought never deny the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even if our life is at the stake and they're ready to light the fire. It's Jesus Christ who is the Lord, and we're not going to back down from that. You have Hugh Latimer and others uh, that went to the fire and, and were were burned and they encouraged one another as they were being lit on fire to stand firm. Don't deny the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, but to hold his name high in great regard. It's a name above all names. It's a name in which one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And we're called to endure patiently. I, I don't know, sometimes I'm a little impatient <laughs> maybe not suffering for Christ but, or something like that, but I find myself not probably as patient as I should, should be on certain things. But, but anyway, we're to, we're to be patient, uh, a patient people, to, to keep the command and endure patiently, to keep his commands and endure patiently. One of the things he says in here that uh, we don't hear a lot about, and I think it's, it's really important, is the word open door. When, when, when you see the word here, and you see it particularly in the book of Acts, and when Paul is speaking in Acts or talking and writing to the church in Colossae or to Ephesus, he uses the term open door. Open door is really a door that God has opened. Only God can open that door, and he's the only one who can that can close that door. But he's opened the door, and Paul and, and John here is making it known that there's an open door for us. And, and there have been open doors and some closed doors. The closed doors were in those seven churches in, in, uh, that we're looking at. Because they failed to love God, they failed to tell the truth consistently, they failed in many ways, and the Lord picked up his lampstand and he moved from that particular area it's not that the church ceased to exist, it just ceased to exist in that area. It was found in other locations. But, but it's, it's really important for us to understand that there have been particular times of, uh, where the door has been open, and it was open in Ephesians initially, before uh, early on, at least for the first generation. Uh, it's been opened in, in Europe, I think of Martin Luther, was, was the door open for the gospel? Yes. Was, was the door open in Switzerland with John Calvin and, and all of those? And in fact, in the, uh, the uh, school in, uh, the Genevan school in, uh, in, in Switzerland, 
during the time of John Calvin, at one time they produced over about a seven-year period, they sent people, not just pastors, but others who were trained in theology, who had certain work skills and that sort of thing, and they sent them out into the world. They sent them as far away as Brazil. We've got, we've got some Brazilians in this congregation. Where did Presbyterian come from for the Brazilians? From Calvin and Geneva. People went as far away as, to, as South America to, to plant churches and to grow churches. And, and churches grew uh, immensely under John Calvin. So you have it in Switzerland, Germany, um, uh, certainly in America, we had a couple of revivals in, Europe, in England, Scotland. For, you know, so the door has been opened in different places. And it's kind of interesting to me because one of the, one of the missionaries I read, I really, I'm at the point in time where I can just get a book and just read it. I don't have to have an exam. Uh, I don't have to take a test. Uh, I can just read it for the pure pleasure of reading. And I love church history. I love what what those that have gone before us. I mean, we have those folks in the early church. Uh, we have Paul and the other apostles, all with the exception of John, were martyred for the faith. And you read um, Hebrews chapter 12, you see, you know, people are, are being slaughtered. They're being run off. They're being caught. They're being saw, sawed in two. All those things. Their names are not written in the, in the, in the scriptures here, but they're written in the book of life. And we see people who are serving the Lord in different ways, and some of them are giving their life and being martyred for the faith. And one of the, one of the ones I really enjoyed reading was John Patton, and that's just one T. Not General Patton, but John Patton. Uh, but uh, John Patton went to the New Hebrides. Uh, he's a Scottish. Uh, he, was, he worked his way through seminary. He was also pastoring a church there. And the church pleaded for him not to go. I mean, they loved him. He's evidently the kind of guy that people just fell in love with. And, but he felt a call to go to the New Hebrides. Now, uh, I, I studied geography a bit, but it took me a little while to figure out exactly where's New Hebrides. I guess the closest country and the closest continent is, uh, is uh, Australia. But what was unique, and maybe you already know about the New Hebrides, but there were cannibals. I don't know how many islands constituted the New Hebrides, but there were cannibals there. And John Patton knew that. There were several others that went there, and I think a couple of the, the missionaries were eaten there as well. But I thought, you know, John Patton going to, to how many people today would sign up to go to a, a, a cannibal-infested group of islands? I, I don't know of any. I'm not sure that I would. But God sent him there, and marvelous things happened there. Uh, he not only reached a lot of uh, the cannibals, they became Christians, but cannibalism, from what I understand, has been eradicated in, in uh, the New Hebrides. And he's taught them how to make a living, a certain probably just uh, minor sorts of things that they could do. I'm not exactly sure of the capabilities, but they started working, they started going to church regularly, they stopped eating each other. All those things happened because the gospel penetrated that particular area. The, <clears throat> the door was open, and John Patton and some other missionaries went in there and, and, and preached the gospel. Some gave their life, and some, uh, and today, I, 
just out of curiosity, I got on Google to see if there are any Presbyterian churches in the New Hebrides. The last time I checked, there were a number of Presbyterian churches in the New Hebrides. John Patton's two sons, I think, came back after their education and pastored there as well. So this was in the 1800s, and today, uh, I didn't look at Google today, but I checked it out, there are Presbyterian churches in the New Hebrides. People aren't eating each other. They're working and making a living. They're doing the right thing. Why? Because the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ reached their hearts and changed that, transformed their mind, and they saw that life wasn't in eating other people. Life was serving the Lord, knowing Him and serving Him for their life. So, so anyway, a door was open. Uh, a door was open in uh, Ephesians. Uh, I got I think of uh, it was First Corinthians chapter sixteen, verse nine. Uh, Paul labored in Ephesus for three years, and uh, it's amazing. I think I referred to it in the sermon this morning. It was amazing those three years. He, he taught out in the marketplace. He, he taught in the synagogues. He, he talked to everyone he could. And it's reported that he visited all of the houses, all the homes in that particular area. And the gospel was, uh, well, they responded to it and lives were changed. And you, you see Ephesus early on for the, at least the first generation, they were, they were holding on to sound doctrine. Even to the point it says that the elders had almost worn themselves out because there are all sorts of attacks coming to the church, wanting to change the theology, wanting to change the practices, wanting to change everything. But those elders hold, held on. The problem is another generation grew up that did not hold on. So, but during Paul's time when he was there, uh, the church grew. And you, you read his when he's leaving there and you see the, the anguish and, uh, of, of the people of God that Paul is leaving because he's been there. They love him and he loves them and he's nurtured them. He's, do, he, he's taught them sound doctrine and, and they're weeping because there's a parting that's taking place there. So it's, uh, Paul had an amazing, God opened a door for Paul in Ephesus and God opened a door for, uh, for Paul in the uh, location of Colossae. And, and what he did there, actually, he was under house arrest for two years in Rome at that time. But he wrote to them and asked them and pr asked them to pray that, a, that God would open a door for them so that the church could be built in Colossae. Same thing in Antioch in Acts chapter 14. So the open door is an opportunity. The question is, and does, does it? I don't know, I see a lot of good things here. I'm just here temporarily, but it seems like to me there's an open door here. There's an open door to invite people in. There's an open door to share the gospel in the workplace or uh, in the neighborhoods where you live, where you get to know each other, whether it's uh, internationals or uh, I guess Americans are international since they're over here now, but they're still Americans. But, but there's doors that are open and the question is, are we going to speak? Are we going to be somewhat comfortable? And, and I'm probably like anybody else. I like my comfort. But at, sometimes we have to open our mouths as, because God has opened the door. And it's for us to speak the truth in love to uh, people and peoples 
left to their own devices without the gospel will be eternally separated from the living God. So uh, there's open doors. There were open doors then. There's open doors now. There are open doors in China. Uh, I hear up to millions of Christians. Now they're worshiping in houses, afraid of the government. But there's still millions of, of Christians. The door was open for a while. The gospel came in. People's lives were changed. And they still meet. And it's dangerous for them, but they still meet because they love, love the Lord and want to worship Him as He has called them to. In other places around the world, there's been revivals, great revivals in New England. Uh, so, but we are in need of another revival worldwide. We need those doors if God is pleased to open the doors and give us the courage. That's what is often lacking because sometimes we say, well, I don't feel comfortable. I don't know if I'm going to be accepted if I share the gospel with somebody. And after all, I really want them to like me. So if I offend them with the gospel, they're not going to like me. And therefore, I'm going to be silent. I'm not going to speak. Well, understand this. And Paul talks about it. I believe it's in 1 Corinthians 2. That uh, we have a certain odor about us, a fragrance about us. To those are, who are perishing, it's the fragrance of death. But to those who are coming to Christ, it's the fragrance of life. And Paul goes on to say, well, who, who is able really to do that? I mean, that's, a, that's something. Who is worthy to do that? But we're called, sometimes people are going to think that we stink because of the truth of the gospel. And there will be some people who will praise us for opening our mouths and our hearts and saying, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Be saved. Repent of your sin. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life will be forever eternally changed. So an open door. And that's something that we could pray about. I'm not sure. I don't pray often as, as often as I should for that. But we should pray for open doors for the gospel so that people can leave that broad road and enter the narrow road that leads toward life. Um, I think we talked a little bit about opposition, but I think I maybe missed one of my little notes here. A lot of the opposition came from the Jewish community. I mean... In Jerusalem, they were crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And there are certainly other Gentiles or Gentiles doing the same thing. But the, the Jewish community, because it was, it was threatening their hierarchy, they had a hierarchy and they wanted to keep that. They didn't want to be displaced. They didn't want to lose their position in society. And so Jesus Christ comes along, his disciples come along, and they begin to preach that the kingdom of God has come and all of a sudden, their livelihood, their whole life has been threatened. And so what are they trying to do and what are they doing? They're crucifying Jesus, not just the Jews, but those Jews are, who are part of the hierarchy and some of the subservience of those. They, wherever Paul went, wherever his disciples would go, they would go and follow and cause all sorts of havoc against the people of God. Sometimes causing them to lose their job, sometimes causing them to lose their home, sometimes causing them to lose 
all that they had, even their life. So, they loved the synagogue of Satan rather than the true gathering of God's people. Uh, I spoke just a few minutes ago about deeds. That's really important, you see. Theology is absolutely essential. We need to know right doctrine. But right doctrine should lead us to right practice because it's not one or the other. I mean, we can be Calvinist, we can be five-point Calvinist, and we can hang up in our office, and we can study uh, the five points of Calvinism and the solas and all the doctrines there. But if we never say anything, if we never uh, enter into the public arena and, and with the doors that God may open for us, then we will be well-read, we'll have the right doctrine, but we will not have impacted that many lives. What are we called to do? To be salt and light in a world that so desperately needs salt and light. So we got to figure out what those other things are that we need to do. We need to share the gospel. That is first and foremost, I think. But we need to show our love in so many other ways out in, in the community. Again, I, uh, I, I mentioned, I think, a little bit earlier, soup kitchens and things like that. I, I haven't been in many. I've been in a few. Not very often, not as often as I should. But I've been there. I've seen some of that stuff. I've seen people that didn't have a place to sleep and a, and a, and a helping house for that and food. And uh, I've been involved in that. I've been involved in two crisis pregnancy centers. Both Gertie and I have been involved in that. Um, I uh, do volunteer work at uh, uh, hospitals, both in Jackson, Tennessee and uh, in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. I love the hospital. I also did a little, little bit of work in the jail, and I loved the prisoners in that little jail I ministered to in, in Tennessee. It was a small jail, and uh, one, of my, one of the members of the church I was in invited me to come there. He said, they need a Bible study. I said, okay, I'm, I'm free. I can come. And there were only about 10 or 12 uh, people that would come to the service. There were more there, but 10 or 12 were faithful in coming. And I really grew to love those guys. I tell you, they were, they were, they were something, uh, really something. They, I tell you, they were locked in on the Bible. They were locked in on the Word of God. They wanted to know uh, what Scripture had to say, what God had to say to them through the Scriptures, and um, and and they were so attentive. You know, sometimes it's hard to get people's attention, but those guys, they weren't going anywhere. They were in this room. They had handcuffs on. But I, I, I just loved going there because they wanted to kind of soak it in as much as I could give. Well, some people give a lot more. As much as I could give, I gave to them, and I loved it. This one guy sitting across from me at the table, uh, he was in handcuffs too. All of them were in handcuffs. But my friend told me that he, was, he had been charged with murder. And uh, so I was aware of that. I was hoping I wasn't going to be the second person because they were handcuffed in the front, not in the back. So they had, they had the use of things. But anyway, he looked at, he was so intent looking at me and looking at what I was saying. And, and I was just overwhelmed. And one time I mentioned Philip in the Bible and sharing the gospel. 
And he, he, he looked at me and says, my name's Philip. I said, oh, that's a name. I love that name. That's a biblical name. And these guys don't generally talk to each other. So he made a statement that probably, I don't know if he'd pay for it or not, but on the way out that day, there was another man there. He looked like he had been probably on drugs, bedraggled, uh, but he came every time. And on the way out, he called me over a little bit. He said, he said, preacher, my name's Matthew. Oh, I love Matthew. Great name. Now what you all need to do is to do your time, to do it well, and to get out and live the rest of your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. But I love, I mean, I wish I, I mean, I just, I love, I've been trying to break into the prison in Montgomery, Alabama, but they have so many walls you can't get in. And I don't want to do anything wrong to get in just to do ministry, <laughs> be incarcerated. But I would love to go in there, but they've made it so tough. Some institutions make everything so tough. The walls are built to keep people, some people get in, but a lot of people are excluded. And uh, that's just the way our society is set up. But uh, I'm not going to break any laws to get in, but if I'm invited in, I will go in a heartbeat. So we're called to, to look and pray for open doors. We're called to do those good deeds that God has ordained for us to do. We have gifts and abilities. We have, we have, we have all sorts of gifts and abilities that God has given to his people. And, and I know the first and primary thing is to, is to be involved in, in, in the worship of God in a good, solid, biblical church. It's to love the family and care for the family. But sometimes we have to carve out some time so that we can be involved with something else. And, and maybe that's something else. Sometimes we want to be used in the, in the church with the gifts that we've got, but maybe we can carve out time for one thing that we can do outside, not necessarily associated with the church, except we're going out in the name of the church, in the name of God, but one area that needs some attention that God would allow us to be involved in that in some way, to make a difference to those who are outside the walls of the church. We're only in here for a short period of time, but we go out into the world most of our time. And the one thing about uh, that open door at the time that Paul was going, that Pax Romana, where all the, the roads were being built, they had Roman soldiers at various intervals on the road. It was a lot suffered, uh, it was a lot safer traveling when that took place. And so the, the, the door was open, the way was more clear with, with the Roman, uh, to some extent, the Roman soldiers and the roads that were built by the Romans. And, and now you look at all the advances we, we make now. We, John Patton took four months to get to the New Hebrides, four months on the ship with a young wife who was pregnant. And shortly, I think, I think after they arrived, she and the baby died. He did get remarried and they had some children. Uh, but, but look what's happening with all the advances in technology. It doesn't take four months to get to the New Hebrides. You can fly across the world almost in a day or less. Uh, and the ships are a lot faster and, and, and the roads are better. And, uh, 
The way is clear and there's opportunities. The door's open. The question is, do we go through the door? I said, I like my comfort. When I, when I go back tonight, I'm going to get in my lounge chair and I'm going to relax and probably have a sandwich or so. But I got to get up out of there and get outside the door and get out into the world too. So there's a time for everything, I think, as Solomon said. Um, and what we do as Christians is not a chasing after the wind, as Solomon would say. What we do representing the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is important. It may be taking a meal to a sick person. Uh, I know in the churches that I've served, uh, we always took a meal to a woman who just had a baby. For a week, we would make sure that meals were taken so that she wouldn't have to do anything except primarily take care of the child. Or, or if there was someone sick, taking a meal there. Uh, what, whatever the case would be, I, can, I can't think of all the things, but, but we've got to be thinking, having our mind open and our hearts filled with love for those that are in Christ, but also love for those who are not presently in Christ, trying to find them and seek them and share the gospel with them that they might know the Lord that we know, the Lord that we love, the Lord that we would be willing to give our life for. So we, uh, we need to figure out what else God has called us to do. He hasn't called us just to do one thing. He's called us to share the gospel and he's called us to do the good deeds that he has ordained for us to do. And with that, with that, I think I have reached the end of my, what I want to say tonight. And so with that, I don't think there's a hymn for us to sing. There is. <laughs> Thank you. Listen, I, I love to sing. Uh, Stephen, you want to come up here to lead this? Oh. I've embarrassed myself enough today. Okay, so uh, let's raise and uh, we close uh, our service today and we sing from number, what is this, 402, 402, 402. Abide with me. Steve. 
the way Jane Sandy came in all around I see Oh thou who changes not abide with me Only the ladies Every passing hour What my own grace And all the tempest power Who like thyself I got and soldiers be And sunshine overbite with me now, man. I fear no fool with thee at hand to bless. Ears have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is that sting? Where grave thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Together, the last one. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies Heaven's morning breaks and earth's faint shadows flee In life, in death, O Lord, abide with me Pastor Doug will give the benediction I'd like to just say one more word before the benediction I told you about the prisoners. One of the first things I did was a, a study of uh, being made in the image of God. They had never heard that they'd been made in the image of God. They never knew that God knit them together in their mother's womb. I mean, you could see their faces. I've never heard of that before. No one has ever said that I've been made in the image of God. And I, I, I kind of broke my heart, so I, I kept telling him, you made a mistake. I don't know what it was, but God's a redeemer. He redeems. He changes. He makes you new creatures in Christ Jesus. Now receive the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. <laughs>